One of the things with, um, I suppose, Good Friday and Easter is that for a long time we've known the outcome. Um, we were not like the disciples anyway in, in that situation where we kind of went, like from the time we were probably in Sunday school, the first time we came to church, we heard that Jesus died and we weren't left hanging there and he rose again. Like it was kind of like this sort of um, parcel that we got that was complete. Uh, we got the whole picture all at once. Now sometimes for some of us, being maybe a little bit spiritually slower than other people, it took a while for that truth to sink in. But for the disciples, not only were they spiritually slow, the outcome hadn't been shown yet. And so I can imagine them asking the question that I'm going to be asking today, God, why don't you do something? And and throughout that time you have the disciples who had spent that time with Jesus seeing him do amazing things. Like, again, I would love to see some of the things that Jesus had done through his ministry. And and, and nothing topped the, the cross and the resurrection, but the disciples weren't on the other side of that yet. And in fact, probably because Jesus had done such amazing things, they could not believe that this is how it was ending up. For them, it was the end. Because other than Lazarus, people don't come back. And it was Jesus that brought Lazarus back. So how was he going to do it when he was dead? And I can imagine them sort of waiting to to hear the news that Jesus may have done something on the cross. And, and even the crowd that were against him kind of threw those accusations against him, saying, why don't you do something? Show us that you are truly the Son of God. And nothing happened. And we, we, we the disciples would have been coming back to that question, why don't you do something? Maybe uh, after he had passed, on the cross and I'm buried in the tomb. Maybe the question to, to why God, why didn't you do something and make it past tense? And they would have gone on to the future with that question in their hearts. But even Jesus seems to be asking that question in a way in Mark 15, 34. It says, it says then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is going, well, God, why don't you do something? As he is at a point where he feels totally isolated and alone. How many times have we asked that same question? God, why don't you do something? We're going to revisit that a little bit later. Surely if we'd been standing by and watching this man of peace as the Son of God was humiliated in a sham of a trial, as he was scourged and beaten in front of a jeering crowd, and as slowly the soldiers of Caesar stripped away the last remaining pieces of his human dignity, surely we would ask ourselves and those who stood by, why doesn't God do something? How can God let this happen? The thing is, most of us, if we saw something like this happening, we would ask, why doesn't someone do something? God, why don't you intervene? But to actually have the Son of God to go through that, one who was perfect in every way, one that there was no fault against him, nothing that we can claim, but Jesus had no fault. God, why don't you do something? How can you let this happen? And as they took this battered and bleeding Nazarene carpenter and laid him against the roughly hewn cross, and drove home those great dull spikes through his hands and feet, and then stood the cross upright with the Son of God, suspended on it like a broken, discarded marionette, and dropped it into the hole, jarring all of his body weight down onto those bleeding wounds in his hands. 
Surely as we watch this travesty of justice, surely the rage welling up inside us would compel us to demand the Almighty. God, why don't you do something? Just don't let him die like some common criminal. Surely that question must have been on the disciples and those that had followed him. John and Mary and Martha and others who loved Jesus as they stood by and watched, repulsed by what was happening. I'm sure feelings that many of you may have watched the Passion of the Christ and, and sort of you sit back totally helpless, unable to do anything for the one who has done so much. We don't ask in unbelief. Instead, it, has, it is as believers that we find our voice and demand, how? How could you allow your son to die in such a horrible way? And it's only because we have a, a point of faith as our reference in the power and the justice of God that we find it so remarkable and difficult to believe that he chose not to exercise that power. What we need to realise, the first thing that we need to start is that God could have done something. It wasn't beyond God's sort of um, uh, ability to do something, even at this point. Christ acknowledged that when they came to arrest him in the garden. Um, they, Jesus was praying with his disciples and they came out to meet him at night and they, they came out with quite an entourage. They came out with soldiers. Um, and again, they did that probably a little bit about the disciples, but probably not that much. Because when you think about it later on, when Peter goes to, to, to basically cut a guy's head off, he could only get a part of an ear. He, he couldn't even get anywhere near the guy for the rest of him. So the disciples probably weren't a, a, a concern. The soldiers were probably there to actually, just in case Jesus tried anything. So the, the, the Jews were understanding that Jesus had power. But Jesus knew that as well. And so as this group uh, uh, um, um, approached him and then um, and the crowd attempted to grab Christ, Peter the brave, Peter the impulsive, Peter the insane, drew a single sword against all these soldiers and swung to his heart's content, not really achieving too much at all. You imagine if Jesus didn't step in right then. It could have been the end of Peter. If Jesus hadn't gone and reached out and healed the, um, the temple servant, all of a sudden... Yeah, he would have had a spear or sword put through him. But again, Jesus displayed his power. He displayed that God could do something if he wanted to. In fact, you see in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus said to Peter, Don't you realize that I could ask my father for, a thousand, for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. The New International Version gets it a little bit more specific. It says, Do you not think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, if you think about that, how many disciples were there? 12. How many were there right at that point in time? Well, technically 12, but Judas was there, but he wasn't really on Jesus' side. So, so the 12 legions would have covered... The 11 disciples and Jesus. So there was actually Jesus saying, hey, I've got more than enough in my arsenal to protect each one of you specifically. Um, and I, I, there could be a legion for you, Peter, a legion for you, John, a legion for you, James, a legion for Levi, a legion for Thaddeus. You guys are all going to be covered. Don't worry. This is not something that is out of my control. And the legion that, that is spoke of here was the largest single unit in the Roman army that was compromised of 6,000 6, men. 
Now, I suspect that 72,000 angels with a holy attitude could have done a pile of damage. Even Christ conceded that. 72,000 angels were at Jesus' beck and call at that point. So when we ask the question, well, God, why don't you do something? Well, the answer is he could have. On Calvary, when you heard them taunting, Jesus wouldn't have prayed with all your uh, might. Yes, God, you, you would have thought Jesus might have prayed with all his might. Yes, God, bring him down. Teach them a lesson, God. Please, God, don't let him die like this. Send the angels and mop the floor with this bunch. Some of us may say, but God, God doesn't work that way. Well, yes, he can, and you can't deny it when we look at Scripture. God has worked like that throughout biblical history time and time again. We have things like the Red Sea where God actually acts in a great and miraculous way. They walk through on dry land where it was impossible moments before. We see the walls of Jericho. God not only made the sun, um, but he made it stand still for Joshua. Who do you think closed the lion's mouth for Daniel and the lion's den or made the fiery furnace bearable for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? Who sent the fish to swallow Jonah and the starter guy, the Magi? The truth of the matter is that God does answer prayer and often does it in a miraculous way. And if he didn't, then why bother pray at all? It would be just a hope rather than a, a serious prayer. If God didn't care and if God didn't act, why would we waste our breath asking him? But the truth of the matter is that God could do something because he had done it before in the course of history. Could God have stepped in and inverted this tragedy on the, tragedy on the cross in a way that was consistent with uh, his saving grace throughout Scripture? Jesus must have believed he could. Or why would he have cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it's because we believe that we aren't afraid to ask, God, why don't you do something? So God could have done something. But second, when we stand before the cross and ask, God, why don't you do something? The answer comes back, God was doing something. <coughs> when we remember that the crucifixion didn't, um, we need to have to remember that the crucifixion didn't happen in a vacuum. Instead, it took place in a very specific moral and spiritual setting. We have to realize that the cross was set at the pinnacle of more than a thousand years of revealed history. For a millennia, God's prophets pointed to a Messiah. And if the people of God had been true to their religion, to the word of God, then they would have welcomed and enthroned Jesus as their Messiah. But instead, they crucified him. We shouldn't blame God because he he did not step in to intervene to save the Jews um, from the most colossal blunder in their history. Let's face the facts. It was their fault, or more the point, our fault, not God's. In the same way, we can't blame God when he doesn't intervene to save the human race from the blunders that imperil their very existence. God has done something. He has shown us the way that we should walk and the laws that we must obey. And one of my favourite stories is about a man who lived um, in a town that was flooded. And as the waters got up to the front step, a fellow shows up in a canoe and offers him a lift. He says, no, thank you. God will provide. Well, then the water got to the second floor and, and, and another good Samaritan arrived in a speedboat with an offer to rescue the man. He said, to which he gave the same response, no, thank you, God will provide. Finally, the water reached the roof and where the man um, perched um, on the peak and the helicopter passed overhead, dropped the ladder to the man, but he still insisted that he would trust God. 
Well, you know what happened. The water continued to rise and the man drowned. And when he got to heaven, he was furious. Stalked up to God and demanded, what happened? I thought you were going to provide. And God said, hey, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? We get to the point at times that we miss what God is doing around us. We ask the question, God, why don't you do something? And God is trying to show us that he is. Even today, um, God is saying to us, as he said to his people through the prophet Jeremiah in um, 6.16, So now the Lord says, stop right where you are. Look for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But the response is the same today as it was 2,500 years ago. You reply, no, that's not the road we want. God has, had done something. He spent well over a thousand years preparing the way for his son. But the people still chose their own way and nailed the son of God to a cross. Today we need to understand that God has done something. He has broken into human history and come to us and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And still people choose to ignore both Christ and his message. When we demand of God, why don't you do something? We are ignoring the fact that he was doing something. He was ignored and denied, just as he is treated today. Thirdly, as we stand at the foot of the cross and demand to know why God doesn't do something, we discover discover that God is doing something. We have come to to the place that we realise that the cross was not some tragic mistake. God wasn't pacing the floor of heaven saying, well, guess that totally blew up. The cross was part of the plan. It was well within the will of God as he allowed his son to die on Calvary as a sin offering for the world. God's will and his love for mankind was being worked out even in this darkest chapter of the history of men when they tried to kill the son of God. God had not forsaken Jesus in this hour of of need. God was there suffering with his son on Golgotha. This Good Friday morning around 2,000 years ago, God was doing something, something decisive, and something conclusive. He was making his ultimate response to human sin. It was there at this place of the skull that God carried the burden of the world's sin. And it was not only a burden of love, but also a burden of judgment. We see only a small portion of the whole picture if we see the cross as a simple martyrdom of one man. But the reality is that it was here at Golgotha that the greatest battle of the universe was being waged. The scene of the last decisive struggle against all the forces of evil that crucified Christ and that threatened our very existence. Evil was judged at Calvary and from that point on evil has no future. Evil is still our enemy but it is the defeated enemy. And finally as we continue to look at that question, God why don't you do something? The answer comes back, God did do something. <coughs> had the story ended when Jesus was laid in the tomb, if the closing of the grave had been the closing of the book, then Christianity would have had the same beginnings as the rest of the great religions of the world. A charismatic leader, a small group of devoted followers, and a shrine located over the leader's grave. The truth of the matter was that on the Good Friday, when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took down the body of, of Jesus of Nazareth and laid it in a borrowed grave, that at that point... Christianity was no different than Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or any other ism. 
And at that point, when they took the body of Jesus of Nazareth and laid it in the ground, at that point, Christ had been right. His father had forsaken him. And when he needed God, the God that had turned his back on his only son. And for all intents and purposes, as we look at the empty cross, for three days we would have to ask ourselves, God, why didn't you do something? But God did do something. Because on the third day, on the day that we celebrate as Resurrection Sunday, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, did what no other man has ever done before and what no other man has done since. He rose from the dead to die no more. You see, the answer to our demands, God says, look at the empty tomb and there you can say, my Redeemer lives. Now, as I said at the start, we have the context of this whole weekend. We understand that as we look at Good Friday, that Jesus rose again three days later. And so sometimes we kind of, I suppose we minimise how big a deal it is. Yeah, Jesus dies today, but he's, he's, he's just having a bit of a sleep and he comes back on Easter Sunday. But imagine, as much as you can, you were there in that first, sun, first Easter. You were alongside the disciples who saw all your hopes all your dreams, even all your, I suppose, safety, because all of a sudden they were on the Romans' radar as possible people that can just be killed as well. If they can do it to Jesus, they can do it to me. And as they looked at Jesus on the cross, their future all of a sudden became very dim, very bleak, and possibly very short. In fact, that's what they were doing when Jesus first found the large group of disciples. They were hiding in a room in fear because of what had happened to Jesus. There was no expectation among them. So let's try and put ourselves in in that frame of mind because other than God, no one knew what was going to happen that first Good Friday and Easter. No one. And it's not... Hard to imagine the disciples were asking that very question of God. Why didn't you do something? Now as we've shared today, with all the information, it's easy of us to say that God could do something, God was doing something, God did, is doing something and God did do something. And God doesn't change. Do you agree with me on that? So the God of the resurrection is the same God that we worship and follow today. Is that true? I'm just just trying to see through the mask if there's a, some, some sort of consensus. Well, if that is the truth, if God is the God who was there on that day and God was when we that question is asked, God, why don't you do something? And the answer is evident. God could, God was, God is, and God did. Would that not that same truth be evident for us? When we ask that same question, when we face situations around us, when we say, God, why don't you do something? Aren't those same answers, four answers the same for us? Aren't they true today when we face struggles and trials, when we face things that we can't understand, when we're at a point of complete lostness like the disciples were? All of those answers become, well, not become, they are true for us. God could act in our lives if he thought it was the best thing to do. And if he's not acting, it's not because he's incompetent, it's not because he's unable, it's not because he's unloving, it's because it's probably not the best thing for us. 
Sometimes we don't see in a situation that God was doing something around us that we become unaware of. And there will be, there will be some things that God has done around us that we will not know until we get to heaven and we go, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I shouldn't have complained so much. I should have trusted more. I should have followed more quickly. I should have been obedient. I should have been more loving. But we need to understand that God was doing something in our lives in those times. God is doing something. If you are in the middle of trials right now, God doesn't stop working. God is not sort of taking a vacation. It is not a long weekend for him. God continues to work in our lives. He is doing something that will will change you. And ultimately God has done something. He has faced death. He has faced our sin. He has faced the devil. And he has come out victorious. I wrote this sentence down this week and as it came to me and I sort of said, Jesus was victorious in death. Imagine what he can do when he's alive and kicking. He was victorious when he died. Now, no other time is that true. If you're playing a football game and even if you don't die, but you get run out of puff and you just collapse... The other team just keeps coming. They don't go, oh, you, you, you're, the, you're the one who ran out of puff first. You've won. No, you lose. But Jesus in his death, at the point where he had nothing else left, he was victorious. Imagine what he can do when he is full of the power of God. When he acts in a way that he... Because he's already beaten the enemy. And now he's at full strength. This is a God that when trials come our way, when, when nothing compared to, to Good Friday, mind you, but when we have things that come our way, when we ask that question, God, why don't you do something? We can trust that God will answer us in a way that will be for our benefit. We need to remember those same truths for ourselves. And I'm just going to, um, just in a moment, Tony's going to play a, a video because when we realise that God is able and is working around us, what is our response to him? What do we do um, when, when we sort of think about all the things that God has done and is doing? What changes does it make for us? And what becomes our action? That becomes the question today as we remember the cross again. How do we respond How do we respond in times of uncertainty in our lives? Knowing that that God let this happen to his son. What may he allow in our lives for a greater purpose? We know the victory of of the cross. We, We know the other side of it. We may not know presently why things are happening in our lives, but God can use that. And we need to choose how we respond to that truth, to that knowledge. Like the disciples, we don't know what will happen in our lives tomorrow. God does. And God is active. God is working. And I'm just going to invite our our music team up. Um, And our, our last song today, it talks about what God has done in us. It says, let the weak say, I am am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is at work. 
The Good Friday was not a day that you took off, but it was a day that you continue to work in the life of this world. And I, I admit there are times that we will feel like asking the question, God, why don't you do something? They may be points of struggle or challenge, but Lord, I pray that as we come to those times that we are willing to say, God, I know that you are working. I know that you can. I know that you have worked in my life previously and I know that you've done something significant on the cross. Help me to trust in my unknowing what you are able to do and what you will do around me. Increase our faith at such times, Lord as we draw upon you, as we trust in you, as we, as we rely upon you, as we just fall our whole weight upon you so that we can know the answer to that question, God, why don't you do something with the fact that, God, you are doing something in our lives, in our church, in our city and in our world. I thank you that we can trust you, that you are a alive and active God. Help us realise it more quickly as we face those struggles. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>